0: I did have a dream last night. This is a weird one. No doubt going to get cut as well. (laughs) But this is a weird one. I had a dream where it was the movie of my life. And I was looking through the eyes of the main character, but I wasn't me. I was played by Matthew Broderick, which was, (laughs) if you know me well, a dream, basically.
1: That is phenomenal.
0: It was very, very weird. Because most of the time it was just me sitting at a desk in my little attic, cat two inches from me. That was it. But I was Matthew Broderick. (laughs)
1: That's probably Matthew Broderick's dream job. You're going to go do some acting. There's no stunts. There's no nothing. You just have to sit here. It's great. Oh, it's perfect. Can you imagine? That'd be wonderful.
2: Let's get real, Matt. If someone were to play you in a movie, it wouldn't be Matthew Broderick. It'd be David Mitchell. Like 100%. Probably. Here, Sarah, I will put a David Mitchell image search in our Zoom chat so you can go and marvel at this person who is Matt's doppelganger.
1: It's interesting you say that because I watch Drag Race, as you know. And so then there's the odd time I've been watching season two of UK Drag Race just came out and Veronica Green was back. And there's the odd time where just the right angle. And I'm like, hey, you know, maybe someday I'm going to come and tune in and I'm going to be like, that's Matt. (laughs) And, you know, all this time I didn't realize you were secretly a drag queen. i got to Google yeah, this one now.
0: This is great radio, by the way. All right. I feel like I could pull that off. If I were to go drag, I would go hair up in that kind of like... Glamorous. Layered dessert kind of cake.
1: Layered dessert. <laughs> I love like
0: that. Yeah, I can see this. I don't know hair names. So <laughs> no, I think you nailed it. Layered dessert, you know. You nailed it. <laughs> like a trifle haircut. You know, one of those. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Welcome back to Random But Memorable, the podcast brought to you by 1Password. We're here to bring you lots of friendly security advice, a roundup of the latest security news, and some very special guests. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I feel like it's been a while since we had this trio together, because usually, Sarah, you're, you're my replacement. I was
1: going to say, the last time I was together with Brew, he told us you quit, and I was like... Oh man. I was like I'm not sure what that was about. So it's great to actually see you in person.
0: <laughs> I feel like we pull that joke a bit too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. To be like, if that ever does come across, the problem is everybody will be like
2: Ha <laughs> right. Everyone will laugh.
1: See you next time.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. There'll be no like I've been here coming up on a decade. God Which is
1: It's a long time. That's
0: a third of my life.
1: Yeah. It's uh Wow. It's a long time.
0: So, yeah, episode now 81. I don't know whether that makes me feel older than having been at the company for a decade nearly. I think it does.
1: I think it's amazing that you guys have been doing this for this long. It's great. So, what I didn't know is if 81, like, is it the same as in TV shows? Do we start a new season? Is it.
0: I think so. Because we start a new game today, I think that marks it's a new season as
1: well. Yay! <laughs> so,
0: yeah, start of the new season. New game. We're still keeping Watchtower Weekly, so we'll get there in a minute. But yeah, we're going to do a a bit of a census as well soon to kind of find out who, who listens to this who continues to listen to this and what they want out of it, which I'm really excited about.
1: I know I always listen for a good time. It's always lots of fun. I, you know, the only ones I seem to skip are the ones where I'm in them. (laughs) Like, oh, I don't know if I can handle listening to myself butcher that news article. Next.
0: (laughs) I also kind of like skip over the bits. When you're in a podcast app, there's like a plus 30 seconds. And I find that I speak for about 30 seconds or at least Anna cuts me to about 30 seconds. So I can just skip over my part.
1: That's the the true genius behind all of this. She's not here, but it's all Anna. If, you know, like when I go back and I listen to these, I'm like, wow, I sound intelligent. Like that's some nice editing right there. I really appreciate everything Anna does to make us all sound super good.
0: I listen back and find out that none of my jokes are included. And just <laughs> all of them just
2: completely gone. Yeah. I'm such a narcissistic individual. You? that I listen and then laugh at the jokes that I made when we were recording. <laughs> oh, that is good. It's good. Like, I, it's, it's bad. I find myself laughing at things that I said, like, <laughs> <laughs> ha ha, you're so witty. It's not healthy. There's probably like a whole case study that could be done about <laughs> it. But nonetheless, that's where I am. All right. Well, we should... Jump into
0: some Watchtower Weekly, uh, otherwise we're going to run out of time. So, Microsoft says it mitigated one of the largest DDoS attacks ever recorded. Why do I feel like this headline seems to come around so often these days, in that, like, this is now the biggest, and I hate to say it, but fairly soon, probably one will outdo it, but... Microsoft says it was able to mitigate a 2.4 terabytes per second distributed denial of service attack in August. The attack targeted an Azure customer in Europe and was 140% higher than the highest attack bandwidth volume Microsoft recorded in 2020. It also exceeds the peak traffic volume of 2.3 terabytes per second directed at Amazon Web Services last year, though it was a smaller attack than the 2.5 terabytes per second Google mitigated in 2017. So Microsoft say the attack lasted more than 10 minutes, with short bursts of traffic peaked at 2.4 terabytes per second. DDoS attacks are usually used to force websites or services offline thanks to a flood of traffic that a web post can't handle. They're usually performed through a botnet or a network of machines that have been compromised using malware or malicious software to control them remotely. Azure was able to stay online throughout the attack thanks to its ability to absorb tens of terabytes of uh, DDoS attacks. That that wasn't a challenge, by the way. (laughs) The attack traffic originated from approximately 70,000 sources from multiple countries in the Asia-Pacific region, such as Malaysia, Vietnam, Taiwan, Japan, and China, as well as from the United States. That was from Amir Dagan, a senior program manager for Microsoft's Azure networking team. That's a lot of traffic. Not that many devices. I thought for 2.4 terabytes per second, which is like a lot of Netflix streaming, (laughs) that it would be a lot more... Than 70,000 devices.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The ability for these companies to mitigate these massive DDoS attacks, it's amazing to me. It's one of those aspects of tech that I have a hard time wrapping my head around. It's a cool thing for them to be able to come out and say, as opposed to like, oh, we were taken down by this attack, but rather like, no, we mitigated this attack and you know, we were ready for it and it's great. They all seem to do it in
0: different ways too, whether it's like rerouting or like instant scaling or any of those things, like, I don't know, I feel like the easiest thing would just be to block IPs on mass, like just <laughs> right. to, to turn it off, just... Turn it off, give it ten minutes, try it again. Yeah. Um they, but this is why they don't put me in charge of operations, I guess. That's correct. Yeah. Same. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, looks like we gotta take the internet offline again. I don't know. I don't know a team. We could spend six months building
0: this really smart rerouting thing, or when we, you know, judge maybe one terabyte of traffic coming from a location, just switch that country off.
2: Charles is gonna run over there and yank a cable out of the wall.
1: Gonna sit here with a button.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically we need a map and some buttons. That's all you need. <laughs> then just like that country, a continent and a button. That'd be easier. Just like that
2: area. Shut it off. Maybe like a switchboard, you know, like old school, like just pull the plug. The
1: plugs and off it goes. Yeah. Reroute it. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yes.
0: Good plan. I <laughs> Any orps people listening to this are just going to be like... That's not what my job is. (laughs) (laughs) So this next one is a bit of British ridiculousness. A judge has ruled that security cameras and a ring doorbell installed in a house in Oxfordshire have unjustifiably invaded the privacy of a neighbour. This one's reported by the BBC. So Dr. Mary Fairhurst, great British name, claimed that the devices installed on the house of a neighbour, John Woodard, broke data laws and contributed to harassment. The judge has upheld both of these claims. So Mr... Woodard now features a substantial fine. If I look up here, he could be ordered to pay a fine of up to 100000 We're not that type of country. At least, haven't been to date. So he's going to get a, you know, 30 quid (laughs) fine told to remove the ring cameras and not put them up again. In the judgment, it was found that the ring doorbell captured images of the claimant's house and garden, while the shed camera covered almost the whole of her garden and her parking space. And so... She said it was in breach of UK data laws, both the UK Data Protection Act and UK GDPR. Amazon, which made both the doorbell and the cameras, said that customers must respect their neighbors' privacy and comply with any applicable laws when using their ring device, aka you're on your own. We had nothing to do about this. We just made a camera. You chose where to point it. <laughs> so the, the judge said a camera in Mr. Woodard's driveway had been used to record his neighbor's gate, garden and parking space. However, Mr. Woodard said that this device was a dummy. It, it later found out it wasn't a dummy. The judge claimed further that the audio range of the doorbell was well beyond the range of any video that they could capture and in her view cannot be said to be used for reasonable crime prevention. So there's a couple of interesting points here. One, the doorbell was obviously on his door, but because it was pointing at someone else's garden and and stuff across the road, the audio would be picked up from their side. So in fact, I think he probably followed everything that Amazon told him about how he should put a doorbell up, which is on your door. But it still broke data protection because he was still recording someone in their garden without their consent. Quite an interesting one.
1: I'm trying to figure this out because would it be next door neighbors or would it be backing on to each other? Because I'm just thinking like when you've got cameras here, if you point them in the right direction, like if you've pointed it in the right direction, you're pretty much just getting your property. If you point it in what sounds like the direction Mr. Woodward pointed it, you're in the wrong direction and you're capturing all of somebody else's house.
0: So England, little tiny streets. Hang on. I know this isn't great radio, but if I literally just move my my camera that's pointing my face at the moment. That's how close my neighbor is. (laughs) Like, my doorbell faces that way. So you definitely see them coming and going. I mean, my doorbell is, is, like, faced onto the side. So you can't actually see anything apart from a bit of wall and someone who's standing there. But, like, bolted onto the front of my house, pointing forward, I absolutely would capture everything. Including, like, probably comings and goings in front of windows. So I think there's a little bit of, like wrongdoing and and stuff but it's probably not going to be judged as like legal precedent but it's certainly an interesting case no
1: i would have to say there is definitely some neighborhood drama going on here that's the cameras just helped with the harassment issue as opposed to were the sole cause of that
0: i would tend to agree it's going to be interesting to see the outcome of this because like especially on streets like mine the houses are really close to each other if you start to put up like cameras pointing
2: outwards this is going to happen more and more we had some vehicle break-ins and stuff on our street which of course led me to buy a, a camera for the front of our house and it was so strange to me because the software detects people and vehicles and animals and it will automatically record a segment of of video when it detects one of those things. Like, this is so strange. If I wanted to, I could document the complete comings and goings of our across-the-street neighbors. Here, I can tell you exactly when they've left, exactly when they come back. I could figure out patterns for, for when they're coming and going. Like, this is genuinely creepy to have this level of surveillance. And I don't think that it's new. We, You could always do this. You can always hook up a cheap camera, but it's so much more prevalent these days. This case both makes me chuckle. And also, I'm kind of surprised this is the first of its kind that I'm reading about. People are like, hold on. Hi, I don't want to be recorded all the time. Could we turn these off, please? Because I know that all the neighbors across the street have cameras facing my house, too, which is why I try to keep the blinds closed as much as possible. It's
1: interesting. Like you say, the, the accessibility of these devices has really changed how the market is. I know our local police force, in fact, they have a networking program where if you have a personal camera, you can register it with the local police department so that if there's crime going on that's happened in the neighborhood, because like if your neighbor has a car break in, the police would know who has home cameras that have registered so they could go back and look for timestamps and you know the whole networking. And so it's very interesting to see how does that evolve? How does that work? Because I'm a private citizen recording public space, and now the police are using that information to verify other information. And um, it's interesting to watch how it all comes together. But we don't need to worry about the whole idea of Big Brother surveillance because you've got Nosy Nancy living across the street with all of her surveillance. So We had
2: Wilma uh, at our old house. Wilma was a 75-year-old retired teacher and she was so sweet we loved her so much and we would catch her in conversation taking the trash out or something and she'd be like oh carrie i noticed that you left for work uh, about 20 minutes early the other day Do you have just a little bit of a busier day it's like <laughs> wilma what you doing what's going on <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised to find a log book in her house my goodness did she <laughs> own a tv just there's so much good stuff uh,
0: on on netflix these days just don't even <laughs> all right so jumping into this next one the information Commission office to step in after schools use facial recognition to speed up lunch queues there are nine schools in North Ayrshire began taking payments for school lunches this week by scanning the faces of their pupils It's such a comically terrible idea but someone thought it was obviously good and apparently they asked the, the parents about it So the the Information Commissioner's office is set to intervene over concerns about using the facial recognition technology on pupils queuing for lunch in school canteens in the UK. The ICO, an independent body that was set up to uphold information rights in the UK, said it would be contacting North Ayrshire Council about the move and urged a less intrusive approach where possible. You know, like paying with cards and stuff like everybody else. (laughs) Kids all have methods of paying via tap now it's just mind-boggling
2: okay hold on a second like if this is a payment mechanism there's a big if here but if it's done in a privacy-minded way like all right fine like you go you look at a camera it's like cool there there you are go take your lunch and go that seems cool and fast and like great you can get people through a line faster but the big if was if it's done in a privacy-minded way and if it's not the chance that it's not then Okay, this is kind of creepy.
1: It's interesting because I was thinking back several episodes ago where you were talking about the new data sharing information. Now that the UK isn't part of the EU that you had talked about, Matt, where it was all about data sharing, data information, data, 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 and not privacy. And how could we share that data? And all I could think when I saw this was like, where's the privacy here? Where's something that's going to say, we're not going to sell this information to this giant food conglomerate to say, here's the eating habits of these children. And now you've also got their faces. So, you know, talk about a direct market marketing way you know you want to try these new dunkaroo products here's the pictures and the graphs and the evidence and these four children will buy it let's watch them in line yep they bought it
0: it's going to be the cheapest bidder on a tender that gets it done yeah they ask for face payment they're going to get face payment they're not going to get privacy or longevity of that privacy right this company is going to generate this data Where's it going to be in a year?
1: Well, that was the line at the end of this from the Big Brother Watch where it said, this is highly sensitive personal data that the children should be taught to protect and not give away on a whim. This biometrics company has refused to disclose what else of the children's personal information could be shared with them. And that there were red flags for all of us here. Like that to me is like the company is saying, we're going to collect your children's identity and other stuff and not being forthcoming with what that other stuff is. You know, as a parent, you know, I read through every checklist that comes home with the kids and I'm like nope not signing up for that nope not signing up for that I have a different perspective when I think of school lunches a lot of time it's for the less fortunate schools and some of the kids that are on meal programs things like that so what's to say that this doesn't get blind with that and then you're looking at issues of are we making sure all of the kids are getting lunches are we making sure everyone has access to all of that like how about we just feed all of the kids without anyone paying for it and make that part of like a school taxes fee and then no one has to get ID'd because everyone gets lunch would wouldn't that just be easier, everybody? That
0: That is a very human way to think about this. I like that. Just make the lunch free. I think the other alternative is I, I just got used to, like, get a slip. On the days that I got free lunch, I would just get, like, a little slip of paper, and then I handed that in. Job done. Sometimes I took two. Actually, I might have been the problem with the system. <laughs> so, sometimes I did take two.
1: Some days you're hungry. You got to do what you got to do.
0: Exactly. <laughs> On the days that they had cornflake tart, you have to save them up for that day.
1: I don't know what that is, but it does not sound like something I'd be saving up for. <laughs> <laughs>
2: had a wonderful chat with george abraham this week there were a couple of audio issues so please bear with us but do stick around for the content because it was a great chat and we covered a lot of wonderful topics so i think we'll probably if i had to guess just go ahead and drop that in here joining me on the show today is george abraham george is managing director at ecommerce foundation and scamadvisor.com a way to check if a website is a scam or a legitimate website Scam Advisor helps consumers by rating websites with a Scam Advisor Trust Score. They also publish a report around this time every year on how countries are fighting scams worldwide, and I'm excited for George to fill us in on all their latest findings for 2021 today. It's been really great to have you here today, George. How are
3: things? (laughs) Thank you very well. I've got a small code, so my apologies for my voice. Uh, Yeah, we are entering the scam season, so we're even more busy than last year, which I did not expect.
2: Yes, I was going to say the pandemic has upticked scams, but also we're now in year two of the pandemic, so that's old news at this point. It's a little disturbing to hear that things are continuing. To ramp up.
3: Yeah, I, I didn't expect it. I mean, most countries are slowly getting out of lockdown. But looking at the volume we're currently getting, there seem to be even more scams than last year.
2: Oh, that's not great. Okay, before we get into that, though... Can you tell us a little bit more about ScamAdvisor, how it works, how it all started?
3: Of course. ScamAdvisor was set up in 2012 by Mark, a developer from the UK. The reason he started it is he got scammed. He bought a golf set online, which is, I think, typical for a person from the UK. Proved to be a fake. And as you know, nothing is as dangerous as an angry developer. So he started working on an algorithm to determine what's the likelihood of a specific domain website being either legit or a scam. And that turned into uh, scanadvisor.com. And in 2018 the Ecos foundation took over. We modernized the front end, we modernized the back end system, made several improvements and continue to do so. And now we have about 100,000 consumers every day checking if a website is legit or a scam. We add about 1 million new websites to our database every every month.
2: That's really fascinating. So from a consumer point of view, how have you found that people have acted when they found out that a website is fraudulent? Like what kinds of feedback do you receive from folks who have used scam Advisor.
3: people visit very honestly people visit scam advisor for two reasons they get an email or they see an, a, an ad on facebook or they get something via whatsapp and they're unsure hey is this legit Is this true? And then they go to ScamAdvisor to check it out. We get a lot of emails thanking us for them not getting scammed. Unfortunately, the second reason why people visit ScamAdvisor.com is they were scammed and they discovered too late that the website is listed as as not reliable on on ScamAdvisor. And the second question uh, we get a lot every day is how can I get my money back? And fortunately, if they paid with credit card, if they paid with PayPal then there is a chance of getting your money back. Although it's much harder than people think. People often think that, hey, I paid with credit cards, so I'm safe. But that doesn't work that way. I mean, you really have to prove that you didn't receive the product. It's a lot of work. And some scammers are very, very good at delaying returning your money until you just get sick and tired of it. Most people, however, who contact us paid with cryptocurrency. They had a a great investment opportunity. And of course, that investment opportunity proved to be a scam. And if you paid with crypto, there's no chance that you get it back. Only in very rare cases are you able to get your money back if you paid with crypto. Wow.
2: Yeah. Okay. so uh, let's dive into the 2021 report then. The big question to start. What is the global state of scams in 21? You mentioned earlier that they're growing. Are there particular parts of the world that are hit more than others? This is
3: the third time we're creating the global state of scammers report. And my lesson learned is scammers are winning. The growth in the number of scams is really incredible. We went from... Last year, 140 million reports about scams were filed to law enforcement across the world. That number increased to 266 million reports this year, which is an incredible amount. Money-wise, the amount lost in scams only grew with 15%, while we see that the number of reports really boomed, often with 60, 90, or even more than 100%, depending on the country. So what we actually see happening that there's a huge gap in reporting well the number of reports increases sharply the amount lost reported is not growing as quickly still 41 billion euros is an incredible amount but i think it's we're heavily under reporting it globally and that's because consumers don't report scams the reason for that is it's either too much work. People also feel ashamed that they've been scammed. Or law enforcement just says to the victim, ah, you should have known better. I mean, you cannot report scams to us.
2: Oh, yikes. So what kinds of scams are most prevalent are on the rise?
3: Well they are professionalizing at an incredible rate. A few years ago, scams were done by the small boys in the industry. Often just kids trying to get some money by setting up a shop and never delivering products or sending you emails with, hey, you won $1 billion in a lottery. Uh, Can you please send me your ID and bank number? Those kind of scams are still there and people still fall for them. But scams are getting a lot more sophisticated. We see that scammers are personalized their scams, so they know who they are targeting. They know the family of the target. They're really what is called spear phishing. So they're really trying to target you as an individual and no longer just sending out an email with dear sir or madam. What we also see is that they're localizing it. So even countries like Finland, where only 5 million, I believe, people in the world speak Finnish, but you now have scams targeted at the Finnish market. And we see that happening a lot that instead of Bulk emailing millions and millions of people in a badly written English, they now really take much more time to make the scam perfect, making it local, making it personal and targeting it. You also probably get the email where you won 1 million or 1 billion in a lottery those emails are not meant for you. Those are meant for people who have very little internet experience. We are targeted with much more advanced kind of scams. And that means that a person contacts you and really takes the time to become your friend or trusted advisor. The scammer takes up to three, six, or even 12 months to prepare you for a scam. If it's a romantic scam, Hey, I really would like to come and visit you, but please pay my visa. Or I invested in this great company and I have a 20% return on investment. Why don't you join? And then you fall for it because you really trust that person. So many, many different kinds of scams, very quickly professionalizing. And the idea that only people with a low education get scammed is no longer the case. I mean, everybody gets scammed at least once in his lifetime.
2: Wow, yeah, the the sophistication of that that surprises me quite a bit because that's the scammers are putting an investment into this now. It's not sort of a spray and pray type model, but really like a targeted investment based model. That's not great.
3: No, it's not and that's the reason also why We think that the money lost in scams is heavily underreported. Related to scams is, of course, the business email compromise, where not an individual loses money, but a company loses money. The amounts lost in that kind of scams is huge, because you're talking not $10,000 or $50,000, you're talking a half a million or $5 The fact that only... According to the World Economic Forum, 0.05% of all cybercrime actually gets prosecuted. It means that online scams pays because the chances of you getting caught is so, so small. And the investment you have to make is so small. It's great business, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. Wow. So, okay. With all that in mind, has there been anything that really shocked or surprised you in the report this year?
3: You asked me about the scams and what, what kind of new scams we see, and the scams don't change, but they always have new twists. So last year, what we saw were, were the masks and the disinfectants and the corona charity. So the scammers were very quickly at accepting the new situation we had last year, but they kept evolving. after the masks and disinfectants, which of course you could order, but they didn't arrive came the puppy scams. And I always have to laugh because it's not a laughing matter. But uh, what I didn't realize is a lot of people, because of the lockdown, they were looking for a companion. And as a result, more and more people were looking for a puppy. So they started to order them online. And here, the, the scammers are really mass producing puppy websites where you can buy a puppy, of course, a good breed and very, very cute for very little money. And then you order the puppy and the puppy, of course, never arrives. And what the scammers are also started doing is upsell in commercial terms, because what they did next is they said, well, we send you your puppy, but it's now at the airport and we're very concerned because it's very hot, but customs doesn't want to allow us to proceed with delivering the puppy to you because you have to pay customs or you have to pay for an extra vaccination of the puppy can you please, please send us this money quickly so that the puppy doesn't have to wait in a hot airport? And of course, the the person then says, oh, this is terrible, and I pay you. And then the scammer continues to scam you because you have to pay an insurance fee and vaccination fee until the victim discovers, well, I'm being scammed. But that can take quite a while. So what surprised me in the last year is how entrepreneurial scammers are. They're able to take any developments, be it the bushfires in Australia, to the evergreen container which was stuck in the Suez Canal and make a scam out of it and because it's so actual people don't expect to be scammed but we are
2: yeah oh gosh the puppy one that's a tough one that will hit certain people uh pretty hard and i can imagine they're seeing some success with that yes absolutely you talked a little bit about scams that target Organizations. Like what trends have you seen in terms of the prevention of scams from governments and, and organizations and individuals? Like are we are we making any progress?
3: Yes and no. I mean, countries are clearly picking up on, on cybercrime in general. First on the national level. Countries are now aware that a DDoS attack or a hack can really, really hurt crucial infrastructure of a country. I mean in the Netherlands, where I live, as you know, we live behind dikes and a hacker can hack our, our water management system. So countries are investing more and more in protecting the national infrastructure. Now we see that companies are quickly made more aware of the risks of cybercrime because the number of malware and extortion is increasing very rapidly. And at the moment, also here, the criminals are winning because 50% of the times a company is hacked and is being extorted to get its data back, they pay. So it's also here, excellent business for the cyber criminal. And now we finally see that governments are aware it's not only national infrastructure, it's not only companies being hit by cybercrime, it's consumers as well. The amounts, of course, are much smaller, but the personal pain can be huge. Last week, I had an old lady from Norway on the phone, and she invested 700,000 euros in what is clearly an investment scam. And the amount is incredible, but I could not convince her to contact the police or her family because she was still being scammed and she still thought she would get her money back. So yes, scams are really hurting people. And thank God governments are slowly starting to get aware that they should do something about it. And countries like the USA and Canada and Australia are clearly leading the way here.
2: One of the things that always strikes me about individuals getting scammed is the amount of shame That comes with it. If you find that you've been duped, there's there's just an incredible amount of shame that someone feels. And I think that a lot of times that will prevent them from following through, right? Like they're embarrassed. They don't want to draw attention to the fact that they made a terrible flub. I wonder if with more involvement from the corporate side and from the government side, that as we normalize the fact that, yes, people get scammed, companies get scammed, countries get scammed, that the shame aspect of it gets diminished a
3: little bit. I think you're right. I think many countries are already investing a lot in awareness campaigns making people aware that scams exist what are the basic tricks i mean the basic rule is if it's too good to be true it probably is those awareness campaigns are bringing some results but i think in those awareness campaigns we should also put more effort in if you get scammed it can happen to everybody please report it because if you don't report it the scammer wins
2: yeah exactly All right. So with everything that we've covered today, we've got, you know, more sophisticated scams, we've got longer term scams, like with, you know, spread out timelines that are targeted towards individuals. Is the average person getting more savvy when it comes to spotting scams? Or is that increase in sophistication balancing out any increase in awareness?
3: It's the latter, I'm afraid. I mean... As you know, in our global state of scam report, we we analyze more than 40 countries. What Western countries are telling us is that, okay, we've been doing campaigns for years and years and years, and the number of scams is only increasing. And that's partly to do with corona, but also because scammers are getting more sophisticated, smarter. And well, building awareness is definitely a good thing because the scammer changes his tricks very rapidly. Consumers keep falling for it. So awareness alone is not enough. And we see countries getting more creative in fighting scams. Ireland, for example, the police of Ireland every week reports a new kind of scam to the media. And the media picks it up because it's, it's good news. But it really helps to every week underline the importance of, hey, could this be a scam? So by working very closely together with media, they're building much more awareness than doing the regular annual scam campaign. Uh, Another example I really love, I mean, I have some mixed feelings about it, but I do like the ideas what they're doing in Japan. There, a municipality is now actually paying the scam victim to scam the scammer. And the way it works is in Japan, you have a lot of scams where somebody impersonates to be a son or grandson of a family member contacting a grandmother. Hey, I'm in big trouble. I have to pay a police fine or... My employer is very mad about about something. Can you please send me money? And if the victim contacts the police and allows in the end that the scammer is caught, you get a reward. I have a, mi- a little bit mixed feelings about that, but I do like the idea of the victim really scamming the scammer.
2: I like that quite a bit. I think any time that you can turn someone against a scammer is a brilliant idea, and I think we should do that everywhere.
3: Uh, It's definitely creative. And I think we should be become more creative because scammers are creative and we have to fight them on that front.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So I want to try and end this interview on a little bit of a high note, or at least an upward trajectory, because the report from this year is not great. And so I want to move into actionable steps. So what are some of your top tips for detecting and protecting people from scams that people can do themselves?
3: I think very honestly, stick to the rule as a person. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. And if you have doubts, talk to your families, talk to your friends, take time to investigate. That's what we see most, that people see an opportunity. And especially if there's time pressure, become very suspicious. Because if it's a good opportunity, why the time pressure? Take time to think about it before you buy or before you invest.
2: Yeah, yeah, that is solid advice. And I'm glad that it still holds true today. That's that's awesome. Okay, George, if listeners wanted to find out more, where can they go to learn more about you, Scam Advisor, or the e-commerce foundation?
3: Well, if you ever have doubts about a website, please go to scamadvisor.com. And if you're interested in fighting scams, on the 3rd and 4th of November, we're organizing our global online scam summit. And everybody's very welcome to attend. It's free. So if you want to join our fight, please join our conference.
2: Wonderful. Thank you so much, George. George. George, I appreciate that you joined us today.
3: Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Okay,
0: so when I mentioned earlier on that there was a listener survey, what I didn't realise was it's in this episode. So we would love to get your feedback and hear your thoughts on the show. Not just this show, but just everything in general. Uh, Not just this episode. There's a link in the show notes to our listener survey. So it should take about two minutes. All the questions are optional and you have the option to give your email address at the end and be entered into our giveaway. This isn't mandatory at all. If you take the quiz and you want to remain anonymous, just don't put your email address in. The winners of the giveaway will be picked at random and will win one year of free of one password and some one password swag so all feedback is for our own purposes and is in order to improve the podcast so anything that you want to see anything that you want to give feedback on you know any feedback specifically about removing Roo from the show that's all allowed via this whoa. via this form whoa hold on now the giveaway closes on november 22nd
1: i love this i love that we're doing this i know we just did your favorite moments segment and that was great but i i can't encourage listeners enough to come out and provide their feedback because the feedback is what we use to continue to make this better and we bring back games and whether or not rue can win them or not like that sort of information is what we really need to make sure that you're getting what you need to out of the podcast so definitely go and fill out that survey find it go to the show notes click that and provide your feedback if you'd like and as Matt said it's completely anonymous you don't have to enter in your email address that's only if you want to be entered in a chance to win a year of free 1Password along with some potential swag so please do go and find that link and provide your feedback because it is very important.
0: And and it's probably worth saying that we don't have in this show any of the weird podcast analytics that some of the others do. I did want to do a deep dive on it one day because it is kind of fascinating some of the shows literally get built for you as a listener so they can you know insert the right ad and all that type of stuff again no ads no tracking no nothing so this survey is the only way
1: that would be an excellent show feature someday you guys should do that as a show like say what is a podcast and how is the information shared and look at a couple different ones that would be an excellent idea i'm going to go to the survey now and provide some feedback to tell you that you should do that one show
0: <laughs> so now it is time for our new game Woo! and i'm so excited to tell you about ridiculous requirements so ridiculous requirements is the game where we work together probably not me because i've written this one but we work together to come up with passwords not advised using our brains okay use a password generator that fit to the honestly terrible and ridiculous password requirements that i have set So, the requirements today, and you have to create a password based on this, are it must contain a teacher from Hogwarts, it must contain a piece of science equipment that contains liquid, it must contain something that improves vision for a single eye, it must rhyme, (laughs) and it must contain three words that end with a different two-letter combination. Oh my gosh. I think I've seen these requirements somewhere, like, you know, a website where you're trying to create a password and you're like, you tap one in the first time and it's just like, here are six different checkboxes that you didn't match. (laughs) But here we go. So I, I, I think the best way to do this is just to work down to the easiest bullet point first.
2: Yes. Now, Matt, just to be sure, do you have an answer for this already? Or are we doing this together? All of us. So...
0: I think I can answer this in two ways, but yes, I have an answer for this already.
2: So I'll, okay, I'll, right. I'll stay quiet. That's fine.
1: Okay. So uh, my thought is to start with the the middle one must contain something that right. improves vision for one eye. Monocle. Because that would be a monocle.
2: It's, it's a bit of poetic license, but do we go monocle McGonagall or no?
1: That's what I was thinking.
2: Okay. Let's take it.
1: McGonagall, monocle. So that's three words end in two different letter combinations.
2: So far, so good. And I have yep. a
1: feeling I know the middle one as well, the piece of scientific equipment that contains liquid.
2: But it has to rhyme. So like...
1: Oh, maybe not. Yeah. I was going to say thermometer. A
2: beaker... An Erlenmeyer flask, pipette, a pipette. Yeah, what the heck rhymes with Mo- McGonagall and monocle and contains liquid? <laughs> There's someone screaming into their iPhone right now with an answer that's very obvious. It's
1: iridium. It's iridium.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a type of flask named mainly after the shape. Oh
1: man, that did not help at all, Matt.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think of like those those um,
1: test tube. Like I'm not like I'm not getting anything that's like rhyming at all
2: okay i'm gonna put a picture of it
0: in the chat
1: i'm waiting for this picture to show up and i'm gonna be like yeah i have no idea what that is either that's an erlenmeyer
0: flask uh it's otherwise known as a
1: beaker flask glass
0: it's a conical
2: (laughs) a conical flask what magonical monocle (laughs) conical (laughs) wait no conical ends with l-e doesn't it?
0: No, it's of Cow. No, of Cow.
2: But that, isn't that the end of... Mag- oh, my God. All right. Okay. All right. There we go. Yay.
1: Yay. <laughs> that was very difficult. If it didn't have to rhyme, we would have had it.
2: <laughs> See, I, I like
0: this. I like this. In in the play test, we had a really good one. And I wonder, as we've got a little bit of time, should we put the one from the playtest to Sarah?
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
0: There
2: we go. So... Uh, must contain a Marvel character not owned by Disney... Must contain at least one adjective describing a large amount. Must contain at least one adjective describing a silent moment after a bad temper. And the whole thing must rhyme.
1: Must rhyme. Okay.
2: I like
0: the must rhyme from the play test. Yeah, it's good.
1: The must rhyme part is what gets me because I'm like, okay, there's a gazillion characters. So the silent moment after bad temper, I'm thinking, is Sulk.
2: Yes, correct. Which
1: makes me think that the Marvel character is the Hulk. Yep. And then one adjective character would be bulk. Yes, you got it. Hulk, bulk, sulk. Yay, I feel so smart. See, this game is
2: genius. I love this one. Oh. I'm so happy. Good job, Sarah.
1: Thank you. Oh, I feel smart now.
0: I, I, I'm glad we found a game that everybody enjoys. Yeah. So there we go. McGonagall, Monocle, conical, and uh, Hulk, bulk, sulk. I think the next one will be, you know, requires a haiku or overall must give a feeling you know that type of thing i think we can have some fun with ridiculous requirements
1: nice must contain the capital of australia
0: <laughs> oh no <laughs>
1: you should all know that now it's super easy oh,
0: yeah <laughs> all right i think with that it's time to say love you
2: both all right love you both this was fun thank you sarah for joining today
1: thank you for having me thank you guys i always love coming so thank you yes love you Rue. love you matt